it's an end of an era. We've seen the retirement of Serena Williams in tennis, and today the announcement from another tennis great. There are times when sports is as much artistry as athleticism. When Roger Federer played tennis, you saw both. His skill and style elevated Federer above the other stars of the game. The first male to win 20 grand slams with eight titles at Wimbledon, more than anyone else in the men's game on the sport's grandest stage. At 41, the injuries have added up, and Federer told his fans it's a bittersweet moment. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis, and I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. Canada's best in Federer's era was Milos Raonic. He posted today, thank you for doing more for tennis than any single individual. Tennis legend Rafael Nadal wrote, I wish this day would have never come. It's a sad day for me personally and for sports around the world. Like Tiger Woods in golf, Federer helped build the popularity of tennis worldwide for all players. In my opinion, the best player of all time, you know, so um, for him to finish a, a career, it's been the best career ever, so. It's still tennis, you know, but I think it's, it, it won't be the same without, uh, without Federer. There was a magnetism about Federer that drew legions of fans and sponsors. Numbers won't show. Federer built what Forbes called a sponsorship portfolio unmatched in the sports world. For his grace and elegance on and off the court. Federer was once viewed as the greatest of all time. Now it's a debate that includes Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, and someday there will be others. Yet Federer's departure in the same month as Serena Williams' retirement is the end of a magnificent era for tennis. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. Richard Cloutier with Mike McIntyre, Canadian tennis journalist, co-host of the Matchpoint Canada podcast. Mike, great to talk to you. Thank you so very much for joining us. Hey, Richard. Thanks for uh, having me on. Happy to talk some tennis with you. You know, I think of Serena Williams and everything that she has done for women in sport, women generally. And, you know, I still think, wow, you know, a celebration of her and not using the word retirement because she didn't want to use that word, but certainly, you know, what she has created. And I think of Roger Federer and I think of class and grace and that brand and, you know, that, 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 that's, you know, his symbol. And I think, well, you know, like anything else, you pass the torch. And I hadn't realized that Roger Federer was 41. And I gather in the tennis world, anything above 35 is like a bonus to be playing at that age and just so very competitive. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, you didn't see tennis players last that long. Every now and then you get someone like a Jimmy Connors or a Martina Navratilova that would somehow defy the odds. But generally speaking, like you said, by your mid-30s, you were done. It's just such a grueling sport. You're out there individually competing without teammates. You can't take a shift off. You're in the spotlight the whole time, uh, running around on on courts, concrete courts often that are not so good for the knees and, and other joints and things like that. So for Federer to last this long and only encounter injury issues really in the last two or three years that have slowed him down and ultimately forced him to hang up the racket is pretty special and uh, a testament to the fact that, like he said in that introduction there, he had a talent for tennis 
And this was something that he was given these abilities to do. And he's been entertaining us for 24 years as a professional tennis player, which is pretty incredible, not to mention the fact that those were 24 years of super competitive tennis where he was usually at the pinnacle of the game. A lot of focus on England because of the Queen, and I'm thinking of all those great Wimbledon matches. Why are so some tennis players so good on uh, on grass courts and and not other courts? Can can you help us understand, you know, why a Federer would excel at Wimbledon, and then you know you have other tennis players that do so well, you know, on clay uh, and and other surfaces. What is it about those surfaces and the relationship and how they play the game that that makes one just so good on one surface and and maybe average on another? Yeah, well, Federer for the first thing here is uh, he was great on every surface. Mm-hmm. You could put him out there on sand, and that guy would find a way to to win some points and matches still. But grass is a unique surface. It's not one that most people grow up playing on. I grew up in Montreal. We had clay courts and hard courts near my house. Um, Generally speaking, those are the big Rogers game translated on any surface uh, and grass especially was perfect for him. The style that he played, the serve and volley style that was more prevalent back in the 60s and 70s, maybe into the 80s. He still adopted that. He was a big fan of Pete Sampras, who served and volleyed to uh, multiple titles at Wimbledon before him. So Federer grew up idolizing the greats that, that won at Wimbledon, Boris Becker. Stefan Edberg, who coached him for a couple of years as well. And his game just naturally translated to that surface where he won a remarkable eight times. But he's won everywhere, and he would have won more on clay at the French Open if it weren't for one Rafa Nadal. That was Rafa's surface of choice where he's won 13 times. So Federer has done it on every surface possible. Um, But you're right, grass was definitely a place. And Wimbledon is a place that he'll forever be associated with. It's a shame he can't get back there for one final go in 2023. I know that's what he was working towards, hoping he could do, uh, but his body had to tap out. It's just had enough. Nadal, his, his obvious nemesis, you know, some, so many great matches. But when you talk about, you know, for example, um, you know, with Jimmy Connors, you think of the Connors-McEnroe matches or the McEnroe-Borg matches. When you think of Roger Federer, who are those other players where you think, you know, um, these players made him even better? Well, Rafa was definitely the one. And uh, Federer, when he started pulling away from the rest of the ATP tour back in 2003, 2004, pretty much uncontested for those couple of years. Then along came this Spanish kid that uh, people thought was only going to be able to win on clay because that's what he grew up on. But boy, did he quickly figure out the hard court and the grass court too, beating Federer at Wimbledon, which was such a shock. And the first time uh, Nadal played him and beat him, he was only 17 years old. Rafa or Roger was a few years older, of course. And uh, what a rivalry the two have done. Uh, I don't think there's any other rivalry in tennis that'll come close. The numbers are skewered in in Nadal's favor, 24 wins to 16 losses. But uh, they've had some of the most epic battles at the grandest of stages in tennis. Wimbledon, U.S. Open, French Open, and uh, Nemesis, uh, I mean, I would say definitely rival, but Nemesis mm. almost implies that there's some sort of, uh, you know, friction there. And between those two, I got to tell you, they've, they've become close friends, they would both say. 
And uh, they're going to finish Roger's career side-by-side as teammates next week at the Labour Cup in London, uh, playing side-by-side, maybe even in doubles as well one last time, which would be pretty cool for for fans to get to witness. Is Roger Federer as, as nice as he comes across? Yeah, it's not an act. Um, and, you know, sometimes people want to want to find the chinks in the armor and, and maybe to make them feel like, hey, these celebrities are, are more like us with their flaws as well. But with Roger Federer, he's pretty squeaky clean, and that's why he's got so many sponsors that want to, you know, throw their money behind him. And that's why he's got so many fans all over the world, not just in Switzerland, not just in Europe, but he was able to win over fans in North America too, which is not an easy market for, for the tennis world to to conquer. Um, and I've chatted with him in press several times uh, here in Toronto and in Montreal at Wimbledon as well a couple of years ago. And he's always just so obliging, takes the time for you, looks you in the eyes, acts as if he's never heard the question before, even though you know he has dozens of times, if not hundreds of times before. A real, real gentleman, uh, a great role model, and that's why he's so well-respected in the sport, not just for what he's done on the court. That's almost, I don't want to say secondary, but you got to say on par with with just how he's treated people and, and what he's done for the sport to grow the sport worldwide, to bring it to places like Africa, South America, to really try and grow it and use his influence as a celebrity, um, you know, for a greater good. And Mike, before we return to Roger Federer and the story behind his brand, uh, it must be an incredible time right now to be covering tennis in this country with so many great players on both the men's and the women's side. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you had told me 10 years ago what would transpire here in Canada in terms of tennis becoming one of our nation's strongest sports on the international scene, I don't know if I would have even believed it back then. And, you know, I recall speaking with Johnny McEnroe a few years ago on an exhibition tour he was doing. And this is before Jeannie Bouchard and Milos Raonic came along and, and really put us on the map. And he joked with me that maybe Canada would have a top 10 player if the sport was played on ice, given that we're known as a nation of hockey players. And look what's happened since then, besides Jeannie and Milos, who are now, you know, inching towards the later stages of their careers. We've got Bianca Andreescu, U.S. Open champion. Leila Annie Fernandez, U.S. Open finalist. Both of them accomplished that before the age of 20. And on the men's side, Denis Shapovalov, Felix Auger-Aliassime, who are in their early 20s now, both have made deep runs at the Grand Slams already. So we're in a great spot here. We've got a chance at uh, every major that comes along to have a Canadian go deep and challenge. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. And we've seen, you know, the impact of that is that more Canadians are picking up tennis rackets. And certainly in the pandemic, that was one of the few sports you could continue to do outdoors and distance from each other and it really went through a boom that I think is going to continue and uh, as a tennis fan myself and a a father of three kids who like playing the sport uh, I couldn't be happier about what's transpired here over the past few years co-host of the match point Canada podcast Federer and the rise of his brand how do you begin to explain this because it's just amazing what he continues to be worth and will be worth in retirement yeah, his four kids aren't going to be hurting in life, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> he'll probably make as much money in retirement as he did on the professional tennis tour. And look, just because he's not playing any more professional tennis, he kind of alluded in his message, I think there's going to be an exhibition tournament 
you know, worldwide tour. And he's still hopefully healthy enough to go out and hit a few balls at a leisurely pace and entertain the crowd with some of his first shots and things like that. So, but what's sure the story still... of his brand? How did he rise? What's the difference between a Federer and, and others? What is it or who did he meet that was able to, to design this and to make those very special relationships? Because it really is a great business story. Well, I think his personality has lent it to those opportunities to come up because you're right. It's not just the wins on the court that are going to translate into the level of financial success he's experienced. He's a guy that can relate to the masses. Uh, He doesn't come across as arrogant or cocky. The guy speaks a bunch of languages fluently. So you can market him in English, in French, in Swiss German. He's got that cross-cultural appeal. Uh, Nice guy, as we mentioned earlier, down to earth. And no scandals or anything attached to him to dampen any possibilities too with sponsors. So from watches to luxury cars, let's uh, you know not not you know gloss over the fact that tennis is still a sport that uh, has some elitist qualities to it. And you look at some of the prices for this upcoming Labor Cup; it's not going to be cheap to get a ticket to see him for the final time. And these are the people that are buying those products that he's out there marketing. So it goes hand in hand. He's definitely, you know, taken tennis to a level of, of marketability that it's never seen before, as well as Serena Williams, who you mentioned earlier, uh, who's also retired recently. We're losing two legends at once, but both who are going to make, um, you know, a ton of money, not just for themselves, but also for their sponsors and also for charities. Let's not uh, forget that, too. He's done a lot of good over his career to uh, to bring money to places like Africa. His mom who's from South Africa. That's been important to him as well, his foundation and all the good he's been able to do there, too. About a minute left here. Who's the next one to watch on both the men's and women's side? Well, that's a tough question, but uh, Carlos Alcaraz sure showed us in New York last week uh, at just the age of 20 that he's going to be one to watch, the Spaniard who reminds us a lot of Rafa Nadal in terms of his compete level. And then on the women's side, uh, Coco Goff is uh, 18 years old, an American, who said she was inspired to pick up a racket because she saw Serena Williams doing it and saw someone who looked like her, a black athlete, and she thought, hey, if she can do that, maybe I can do that one day too. And uh, Coco Goff has got the off-court appeal as well, speaks so well, so mature for just 18 years old. And uh, and I think the tennis as well is going to translate to a lot of success. So that being said, who knows what happens? There's always been a lot of talented youngsters, and with the pressure, how do they handle that? There's a reason why there's only been one Roger and one Serena. We'll see who can try and follow in their footsteps. You can follow him on Twitter at McIntyre Tennis or at Matchpoint Can. And the Matchpoint Canada podcast on your favorite subscription service, Mike? Yeah, that's right. You can find our podcast anywhere. We're on Instagram and Twitter as well. And the official podcast of Tennis Canada. So getting a lot of support from them as well in our three years uh, doing this for them. Great to talk to you. Great to have you with us. Thank you again for joining us. Cheers. Have a good one.